Welcome. You are listening to Nard Bites, a Dungeons and Dragons show where we discuss various topics about D&D and all other TTRPGs. Enter at your own risk, but beware, things may get back to the podcast with a brand new subsection of the show which i'm going to be calling nard bites these are going to be sort of interesting little side piece talks where we're going to talk for about 15 maybe 20 minutes about topics and themes of uh the gameplay at large and be able to somehow inform our discussion things that have just happened in our actual play but talk about them in the grand scheme of things so in the last episode that just came out uh, the party had finished off the dinosaurs and made it into the lizard folk camp, and they had managed their way strategically around all the obstacles there, hightailed and followed the lizard folk and the lizard folk shaman up to the Kazarthith, uh caverns, the lair there, in search of the hydra. And so I think an interesting topic to talk about now would be this idea of tactics outside of combat, yet they feel more related to combat than not. And I guess the thing that I'm talking about here specifically is this concept of like strategic moves that aren't necessarily like social, they're not necessarily attacks, but it's things like plotting out, you know, which path to take and how to take it. And so I guess um, for everybody here who I have, uh, I mean, I got the full cast here ready to go, but does anybody have any immediate comments about this? this concept of gameplay, this like this sort of metagame that comes along with it. It almost feels like the chess version of the game because everything else feels more video gamey with like numbers stacked on numbers. But this idea of like outwitting your opponent or like taking the high road or taking the difficult course with greater peril feels more like gambling. Like there's less of an actual number involvement and more of an actual like strategy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, on a non-meta level, a lot of times with these kind of things, I sort of try and stay in my character's head to think about how they would approach a situation. And so if Flika has some sort of knowledge or some insight to provide on how to get around or better face that obstacle, she'll probably provide it. But... um if she thinks that someone else in the party might have more wisdom on the subject, she'll often defer to them a lot of times for specifically in this episode, the camp and everything. I think Klika was deferring to Norhill for the most part on it. Cause Klika sees Norhill as a character who has a lot of that kind of knowledge of dealing with enemy movements and the best way to get through something like that. Um, and then on a more meta out of my character's head, I will try and figure out obviously what's best for us as a group of players, but then if there's anything that I know I can get away with from Dan, like it's sort of like knowing your DM at that point and sort of like how much prep you can do that will actually give you an advantage versus when you're just doing stuff 
just say your character did it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think you you kind of brushed up against this topic for a second, and I want to jump into it just so I can include some other characters in this one. But what's interesting to me about this whole thing is it's kind of like a good piece of music that sort of challenges you when you listen to it, that there's like strange musical movements that cause a jarring sound that make it like hard to listen to, but the resolve is almost worth the tension there. And so when I think about characters like Norhill and Anton who are pretty level-headed and have, you know, typically the best for everybody in mind, it makes for like kind of, I don't want to say simple decision-making when it comes to being strategic, but, and, and I mean no offense to Jared or, or Jarzak in this one, but sometimes oh, no, no. it seems like Jarzak makes decisions that are a little bit more, like, it, it's not what everybody would choose. It almost makes me think of, like, yeah. the tragedy of the commons, where, like, making That's... proper strategic decisions can benefit everybody, but when it comes to Jarzak making some decisions, like, you're sticking true to the character in a way that doesn't always benefit but sometimes when it does benefit, it benefits in a way that no other character would have been able to get that benefit. Anton's not lopping the heads off of bandits. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. there are certain benefits that could come along with that, that if he was in that situation, he wouldn't have gained from it. So do you find yeah. that it's hard making those kinds of decisions or is it almost more fun, you think? Well, essentially for Jarzak, it's, if it was a group full of Jarzak-like individuals, they would just, you know murder hobos no just rush in just straight line just as the juggernaut charges and just get right to the point and uh that's that and probably die on their way doing it so uh it's good that he has the kind of comrades to kind of like level him out a little to just be like oh yeah no that's uh might not be the best idea Just, no, I, I didn't even think there was an option of going around. <laughs> so I guess my question now goes to Anton and Norhill. Do you feel like role-playing in this game, playing characters that are more level-headed and have more of like a typical approach to these sorts of situations, do you feel like that almost kind of blands your, your gameplay and makes it a little bit more boring that you don't get to have those wild card moments? Or do you feel like it's almost because you follow cliches, it makes it entertaining in a way? I... I think from like my standpoint, it's entertaining, at least me personally. I'm definitely a wild card. <laughs> so when I can play a character that's not a wild card and using control, it's, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. I know I'm not going to do something silly. It's the only control she's got right now. <laughs> I know, right? Nothing yeah, else is chaos. Good old instability, Ronnie. <laughs> and what about you, Anthony? Any thoughts on uh, that? No, no, not at all. I really, I really like playing a more, you know, level-headed and straightforward character. Uh, if only because D&D is a game of possibilities. Yeah, so th- knowing your character and knowing the kinds of decisions that they would make in every given situation, even if it's the totally obvious kind of bland one, uh, helps keep the party away from, like, decision paralysis. Right. Or going too far off the rails. 
Right. And, and, you know, kind of like what I was saying a second ago, it's like cliches are cliche for a reason. So making the safe choice, following the typical lawful good, lawful stupid approach to certain social situations or like strategic situations, it might not be fireworks and explosions with cool sunglasses as you walk away from it. But personally, like when I get to play characters, I kind of like to play more predictable lawful good characters because there's just some weird level of like, I don't know if it's comfort or something like that, but playing out that like expected, like that, that decision-making, it almost leads to sort of this sense of like you were saying, almost like a controlled variable in the group where everybody can sort of like have you be the baseline that everybody adds their own level of spice with weirdness and, and like chaotic decisions. But typically you're, I mean, the level-headed one, you know what I mean? You make yeah. something of a reliable backbone. I kind of want to touch on something Anthony said, uh, where he mentioned decision paralysis, which uh, since we're doing a live play, it is important to try and keep things sort of going at a clip, which is why it's good to have those kind of more grounded, uh, for, like smarter thinking characters in the group that aren't always looking for some wacky way through everything that may or may not derail or in take a bunch of conversation and going also off of what dan was just saying i think there's a certain amount of like a hidden alignment of how like that pe people have as players where it's based around like how on the rails they're willing to stay versus how off the rails they're willing to go and i think that also sort of plays into their relationship with their dm and stuff so I think it is important to try and have unique and interesting solutions to problems, but also at the same time, you have to remember that your DM has an entire session planned out in some way, and it's important to try and see everything that he wanted to show you and experience that in our character's viewpoint and have fun with that as opposed to trying to make your own adventure on the spot or going completely haywire and doing something zany. You know, and I've uh, talked about this in the past that I think later generations of the game have focused a bit more on character development rather than story development. And I think that in our games, you know, I don't think story would progress as well if we had every character trying to be the lead singer in our, in our rock band, you know what I mean? It just, there would be so many different things going on and so many clashing personalities that, you know what I mean? Like it'd just be kind of hard to really point out where the storyline is because, you know, half the games we play are going to be about us escaping the law. The other half of the games are going to be us, you know, stealing things. And, and you know what I mean? It just, sometimes it makes sense to have these sort of sensical decisions because it almost feels like there's a level of like, story-based realism that goes along with it, you know? But um, did anybody else have anything to say on this? The whole strategic out of conversation, out of combat, sort of the meta strategy of the game. I think that's actually one of the biggest draws of D&D &D, or, or you know, other games like it uh, compared to something like, say, a video game mm -hmm. where the whole draw of it isn't necessarily the combat it's everything that leads up to it right yeah, I'm willing know, to say you know, like i said there's an infinite number of you know choices that you could make and how you set up and each and every one of those has its own outcome right and, and as a dm personally 
my favorite part of the game can be that. Now, the problem is, is you can take this to an extreme that's kind of bleh. And I've been trying my hardest in this, this current campaign to sort of cut the fat on that. But having the characters plan out their adventure can be so exciting. And I remember I got a, like some, somebody yelled at me on Twitter one time, not on the Young Grognard account, but they came up with this concept for having like a wagon that you would pay a certain amount of money, like a hundred gold pieces into the wagon. And basically on your adventures, you could pull whatever you want out of the wagon, as long as the total never went over a hundred gold pieces. And they said it took out the boring part of the game, which is paying for goods and planning out your goods and strategy. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I feel like that takes out a whole leg of the fun of playing a game is because, you know, when you're the one character in the group who brought, I don't know, the grappling hook and the rope, or you're the character who brought the chalk and the oil, like these things can alter gameplay in a way that's not based in combat. And it's not based in, you know, like a conversation. It's like, how can we put these things together to solve a problem in an unorthodox way? And I feel like, again, like you were saying right there, like, it's, you know, the stuff that leads up to the combat. It's the stuff that leads up to the conversation. It's it's the stuff in between that fills out all the gameplay. And if you kind of cut those parts out thinking they're not important, I feel like you miss a lot of what makes the game the game, you know? Yeah, I mean, you never ha then have to worry about, like, you guys starving because you run out of food. And it's like, well, what if you're in a situation where that could happen? It's like, well, now it can't. There's a wagon. It's like, uh... <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I found this out in the desert. Perfect. <laughs> it has everything I need. I buy a hundred rations. It just removes that idea that the environment is hostile. Like, you know, if you guys are climbing up a mountain covered in snow and you're not wearing winter gear, or you guys are off in the middle of a wasteland, like you said, without any food around and nobody's good at hunting. I, like, I mean, this is kind of a big deal. And I think a lot of the fun in the game comes from like if we're going to use this desert example here and say we don't have any food, but somebody in the party discovers somehow that there's, I don't know, cacti are capable of being eaten. So you role play this whole thing where the party finds a way of like harvesting cactus juice and you're like, I don't know, like that can be fun. It can be an interesting experience to see characters out of their element and sort of learning to survive. You know what I mean? But again, it's it's one of those things in the game that I think takes up so much space in the true timeline of in-game time. Like think about in, in the Lord of the Rings, how much time did they actually spend walking? And how much time of that did you actually have to watch in the movies? Like what, total montage time? Not much compared to the literal weeks and months of walking they did, right? So it's like- But it they still had time to get at least, I think four different Times where they show Sam Frodo and then later Gollum all eating together, which I think was still important, like right. showing that they were actually out there and like they include the whole elven rations and all that stuff. And like sure. it I, I think it lends weight to the world. Yeah. And I think again, it just breathes life into the game that's not the strategy people think of with a TTRPG. So on that note, I think this was a good bit of a nard bit, a little nard bite, and I think that's it. So, oh, see you later. Just real quick, uh, don't forget, I haven't been able to do this on the show, but oh, no. uh, new episodes of Sabrina are out on Netflix now, so just be sure to check no. those out. All right, thanks. Don't mention it. It was just too sad. Please don't. Hey. 
everybody, it's the young Grognar here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks. <laughs>